Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part one of a two-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the Church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. The Bewildering Death. A study in the awe-inspiring magnitude of the cross. This is a two-part series. Session one, the concealed. So we're going to have two different messages. One is the concealed and one is the revealed. So we're going to be talking about the death, and it's not just any death. It's the death of Jesus Christ, which ironically holds great gravity and weight for us because for those of us that believe in Jesus, we actually are in Christ positionally, which means when he went to the cross, we actually share in that death. So in a sense, this bewildering death is bewildering at multiple dimensions. It's not just bewildering that the Son of God came to this earth, lived a perfectly sinless life, was spotless, without any flaw, and yet was murdered. I mean, that's bewildering in and of itself. But the fact that this very death that looks like a travesty is actually the greatest triumph, that's equally bewildering. But then to add the extra bewildering dimension to it, that that death is actually our atonement, that is our redemption, that is the work that was necessary to crucify our old life and to set us free unto participation in a new covenant. Yeah, bewildering, I don't know if that's even strong enough of a word. So, session one, the concealed. One of the famous statements in Christian history is the new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. You have to sort of read it through a couple times just to sort of grasp that one. But the new is in the old concealed. In other words, the new covenant is concealed in the Old Testament. All throughout that old covenant, you actually are going to see shadow of that which is to come. But it's concealed. And then the old, that which was, is in the new revealed. So in other words, the God who's always been there, the Christ that has always been there. You know that Jesus didn't just arrive on the scene 2,000 years ago in the womb of a young girl, but he is before that womb. As he says, before Abraham was, I am. What? And even says, I mean, John the Baptist is older than him, but he says that he precedes him. How can you precede John the Baptist? You're younger than him, Jesus. You see, it says that the Messiah will be from of old and from everlasting. And the one who will be born in Bethlehem is Emmanuel. God is with us. You see, this Jesus is not just a man, he's God. And so that is revealed in the New Testament. Jesus is at the Last Supper, and for those of you that uh, have been at Ellerslie, you're familiar with this scripture. I love this scripture. For it just is like one of the most telling scriptures of how the entire Bible works, how faith works. Jesus is talking at the Last Supper, and he's describing a few things. In this case, it's his betrayal, which is a key attribute of the Messianic test. To know the Christ, Christ is the Greek term for Messiah. 
So to recognize the Christ, the one that the Old Testament reveals and says he will come and he will deliver his people from their sins, this one must be betrayed into the hands of sinners, technically for 30 pieces of silver. And so what you see at the Last Supper is you actually have Jesus declaring, this will happen to me. One of you at this table will do it. And then he says this amazing statement. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am. Now in the, in the English translation, we're going to stick he in. The reason I put it in parentheses is because it actually isn't a word in the text. What Jesus is actually saying is, ego I may, which in the Hebrew translation is I am. It's the proper name of Jehovah, that you would know that I am. Whoa! Did he just say that? He sure did. You see, what is taking place is the pattern for how faith is built. It's built on what is known as the word of God. God has spoken it before, so that when it comes to pass, you would know that it was God. That's how you test it. And so what we're going to go through here, this is the preparation for his death. That that death is revealed in the Old Testament. This bewildering death is revealed. Most of us you know, have a tendency to lug around a New Testament Bible with some Psalms and Proverbs. As opposed to realize that the whole Old Testament is what gives credibility to the person of Jesus Christ. If he doesn't perfectly match the Old Testament, he's not the Messiah. The reason we call him the Christ is because he passed the test. So 10 strange foreshadows. We're going to go back into the old, where it is concealed. The month of Nisan, which, by the way, started yesterday. It's the first month in the Jewish calendar, and it just began yesterday. Job, or Iob, from Uz. You're like, what is that? Uh, it looks like Job from Uz. Uh, but that, that's a man's name, and he's from Uz. That's how you pronounce it technically, even though it does look like Uz. The Ark... Remember Noah's Ark? Uh-huh. The temple veil? I'll go into all these things, don't worry. The paschal lamb? The Josiah-esque morning? The selling for silver? The strange and particular form of death? The curse of the tree? And then in that day, it's a statement throughout the Old Testament, in that day, in that day, there is a singular day that God is saying in the fullness of time, in a singular day, I will accomplish this. And so what you see in the Old Testament is I'm giving you 10. Technically, I had 15 in the list. I was just running out of time and preparing the sermon because I had to get three more messages ready for a conference I just spoke at in Illinois this past weekend. So I was like, oh, how am I going to do this? So I had to trim off. <laughs> so I'm like, I hate to say that. Foreshadow number one. So these are, if we want to call them foreshadows, it's sort of a dangerous literary term to throw in there, but it is something that is a prophecy. It's different than just a literary foreshadow. It is literally a prophetic book, this Bible, and everything in it, not just the words of the prophets are prophetic. You know what the entire culture, the the sacrificial system, the temple and how it's built and how it's measured, everything about it prophesize. It tells of something to come so that when it comes, you would believe that he is. You see, it's given before time so that when it happens, you would say, he is. He is. So foreshadow number one, God is the one that built the Hebrew calendar. He's the one that said, this is the first day of your year. And it is known as Nisan. It's the first month. 
And it was yesterday, technically, when it started in the Hebrew calendar. So we'll know it as the first month. And it is the time when kings go forth to battle. And I'll I'll read those scriptures as we progress. But this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So this is a new beginning. You finish an old and you begin a new. That's going to be very important, by the way. Everything about how God set up his system is to reveal something to us. And it isn't just the brilliance of a Hebrew culture or commonwealth. It's to reveal the one who fulfills it all. It's about a person. It is the time of creation. This is amazing. Okay, so this is the first month of the year. It is the time of creation. So every Jew would say that the earth was created on Nisan 1. That's what they would tell you. And that's how they measure it. And so that would be the first day of creation. So the earth was recreated, and the Jew would say, on Nisan 1. In fact, that would be when Noah exits the ark onto dry land. That's how the Jew would look at it. So you have literally a creation, and then a new creation through the flood. Well, prepare yourself. So I'm just saying, this is a foreshadow. This is just the Old Testament. This is what's laying the foundation. This time of year is extremely important. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. It is the time of birth. I, I, I find this extremely intriguing. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all born and died in the first month. It's the time of birth, and it's the time of death. Isn't that extraordinary? It's the time of new beginnings. It is the time of sacrifice. Isaac was bound and a ram provided in this month. The Passover, the Paschal lamb was offered. Nisan 14 is when we celebrate the Passover. Okay, uh, that's, that's the Jewish, in the Jewish calendar. Nisan 14. So this is the month of it. It is the time of intercession, which means something stands on behalf of something else. In other words, where there is a penalty or a just consequence for sin, something else will stand in its place. The ram is caught in the thicket in Nisan. The paschal lamb intervenes at the Passover. It's the blood of the lamb on the lintel, the doorposts of the houses of all the Jews that caused the death angel to pass over. This is even when Esther, in the month of Nisan, intercedes on behalf of the Jewish nation and stands before King Artus Xerxes. Same time, same exact days. It is the time of freedom and emancipation. Egyptian slavery is annulled. Yeah, yeah that's right. Pharaoh says, get out! Uh, Haman's plot is exposed and foiled. There's a death trap for the Jews. And yet, what is the season of the year when that plot is exposed and nullified? It is the time of judgment upon the firstborn. The firstborn is always determined as the flesh. There's two. So, the first and the second. Cain, Abel. The first is like the flesh. The second is as the spirit. God receives the offering of the second. Ishmael, Isaac. The first God does not receive, the second God accepts. All throughout the Bible. And so it is the time of judgment upon the firstborn. We have the first Adam and the last Adam, Jesus. First covenant, second covenant. The first only exposes the weakness of the flesh. The second one reveals the power of the spirit. And so the death angel in Egypt striking down, what does he strike down? The firstborn. Haman, who, by the way, Haman is called the Agagite. I know that might fall on ears that aren't ready for it, but the Agagite. Do you know who Saul was supposed to kill when he was assigned by God to destroy the Amalekites, which are the descendants of Esau, the firstborn? 
So the descendants of Esau are Amalek. The Amalekites are called the first nation. And then their descendants, David, is actually, he wipes them out. But Saul was called to wipe them out. But he doesn't. He keeps the king alive. The king's name was Agag. Haman is an Agagite. He's a descendant of Esau. And what's his plot? To destroy the Jews. This is what the firstborn is always up to. And yet what do we see in this time of judgment? The death angel strikes down the firstborn. Haman is hung. Saul, the first king, dies in battle. Whoa! It is the time of first fruits. This is the first harvest. Barley harvest, which is the food for animals. Don't miss it. Jesus is born, and he's laid in a feeding trough. Don't miss it. Food for animals. God comes and condescends and becomes food for the lowly and the unclean. It is the time of purity. A lamb without blemish or spot. The lamb that is sacrificed, known as the paschal lamb, must have no defects. It cannot have any spot. It must be flawless. No leaven is allowed for seven days. In the first month on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. It is the time of the lamb. Passover. Okay, now, so you've never seen, like when we think of uh, Thanksgiving, what do we think of? It's the time of the turkey. Okay, you, you see turkeys everywhere. Well, you go into the month of Nisan and what do you see? Lambs. It's the butchery of lambs. In fact, there was so much shed blood that the brook Kidron could overflow with blood. I mean, you have a massive outpouring of blood. Isn't that an amazing thought? This is, this is the season of the lamb. And you know that lambs are used for three things in Scripture? Sacrifice, food, and shelter. Well, I, I'm not going to give anything away uh, here, you know, but you may want to do some thinking ahead. Remember how I said this is the concealed. This is what the Old Testament reveals. And it, but it's revealing something that we can't fully see until the new. Until Jesus comes, we can't unlock this great mystery. It is the time of the Gentiles. Ruth's arrival in Bethlehem at the inception of the barley harvest. You know that Ruth, historically, to the Jews, arrived in Bethlehem, of all places. She arrived in Bethlehem on Nisan 14, the Passover. The Gentile arrives. Uh, hey, I, do, you, do you see this? this is, you know how incredible this is? It's the time of a raised-up tabernacle. You know the tabernacle was raised up in the wilderness during this month? On the first day of the first month, so you set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, Nisan 1, that the tabernacle was raised up. Remember, well, I, don't, I can't give anything away. I'm trying to hold back. This is really hard for me. <laughs> it is the time of coronation. That means making a king. David was anointed king over Judah in Nisan. It is the time of war, and it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle. You see, the kings would always go forth to battle after the year was expired and springtime began. That's when they would go. Why? Well, you have barley harvest, number one, but you also have better weather. It's a lot easier to fight when it's nice weather out. It's a little easier to live in a tent. And so what you have is the time when kings go forth to battle. This is a foreshadow, by the way, because there was a king that went forth to battle. Oh, I didn't say that. You didn't catch that. You didn't hear that. Okay, foreshadow number two. 
Job or Job from Utz. And what does that have to do with anything? You know what Job means? Hated and despised. You know what Utz means? The place of wood. Huh, interesting. Foreshadow number three, the Ark of Noah. It's a harbinger of coming judgment standing there. It is a construction of wood. And guess what? This construction of wood sitting there, just in front of everyone as a statement, repent and turn from your wickedness. Judgment is on its way. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's also a vehicle that can be entered into. And if you enter into this vehicle, you will be saved from the coming judgment. Foreshadow number four, the temple veil, or what we could call the impassable barrier. There's so much that I could say just about the temple veil. We could do a whole message just on that. It's colors. Well, it's made of clean white linen. This white linen is then dyed three colors, blue, scarlet, and purple. Okay, I'm I'm restraining myself, aren't I? This is the concealed part. Boy, I don't like building messages like this. I like to give things away. Approximately, it's 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and four inches thick. You know how big this veil is? And it separates in the temple of God, it separates the holy place from the most holy place. Only one man, once a year on the day of atonement, was ever allowed to enter through this. It was impassable. It was a constant reminder to all the priests, you can go here and no further. You are not allowed into the presence. It was so heavy that Josephus says that 300 priests, by the way, that's a lot, were required to move it and that two teams of oxen would not have been able to rend the veil. This is a man who didn't even acknowledge Christ as the Messiah. And he will tell you, that's how big this veil is. And to rent it in half would take more than even two teams of oxen to do it. This is not something a man can do. It was prepared with cherubim stitched onto its front. Now what should that remind us of? Well, when Adam and Eve were removed from the garden... God set cherubim with flaming swords to guard what's known as the way. The way was blocked. The way into the presence is blocked. And so God has them stitch cherubim onto the front of this curtain. This curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet. Foreshadow number five, the paschal lamb. Lambs used for sacrifice, clothing, and food. Paschal lamb is set apart for the day. He is removed from common life, and he's set apart. Why? For inspection. You know that the lamb will be inspected to make sure that he is without flaw. And he's inspected for his perfection, proven to be without spot or deformity. And then he's sacrificed in a very specific way, without the breaking of a single bone. And that sacrifice is on a very specific day, Passover. The blood is used as a house, as a house covering, And the paschal lamb is eaten on the Passover day. In one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house. Listen to this. Neither shall you break a bone thereof. Now these things are so subtle and so small that many of us don't notice them. However, there's a pattern that is being set for every little detail that we are witnessing. And as a Christian... You see it. Well, I'm hoping you're beginning to see it because I'm trying to keep it concealed just for the fun of this message. However, the key is 
We have a, well, I was going to say the key is that we have a key, but that, that's not a very good phrase. We have the key, I'll just say it that way, to unlock these mysteries and to see the glory of God in them. Neither shall you break a bone thereof. He, speaking of this one to come, he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. It's a sign of his death, this Messiah to come. And it's a very, very specific sort of death. Foreshadow number six, the Josiah-esque mourning. Josiah is the last pure king of the Davidic bloodline. And he is pierced by arrows, and he falls in battle. And the great mourning for this fallen king of the Jews is extreme. To lose with, with such a rare thing in Judah's history, to have a king of such goodness and righteousness and purity, and then to see him pierced and fallen leads to great mourning, okay? And this is, this is actually part of the prophecy. Here in Zechariah 12, it says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me. Who's talking? God is talking. Whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there, there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadarimon in the valley of Megadon. That's the Josiah mourning. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart. Now, for those of you that know the lineage of majesty, Jesus is born of the bloodline of David. But the bloodline of David splits into two lines, the line that leads to Mary and the line that leads to the kingly line of Joseph. Joseph is in the kingly line of, I mean, he's, he's of the lineage of Solomon and down through Josiah. That's, that's Joseph. However, it splits off and David, his son Nathan, goes down to Mary. And so what we even see here is the family of the house of David apart and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart and their wives apart. Who's grieving? Who's grieving? The house of David, the house of Nathan. Whoa! Wow! I don't know how many of you appreciate that because you really have to know the genealogies to see that, but whoa! Foreshadow number seven the selling for silver, the betrayal of Judah. Judah in the Old Testament, you have Joseph, and he is the one that comes up with the idea to betray and to sell Joseph instead of just you know, leaving him in a pit to die to actually get some money out of this. And he sells. Uh, the deliverer of Israel into the hands of foreigners. So the betrayal of Judah, the deliverer turned over into the hands of sinners in exchange for what? Pieces of silver. And Judah said unto his brethren, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? So I want to just emphasize this. Who is the one that said it? Who's the one that conspired this? His name's Judah. You know what the Jews would call him? For instance, Josephus, if you read his accounts of this exact thing, you know what he will call Judah? Brace yourselves. Judas. It's the same name. Judas and Judah are the same name. We don't see it, though. We speak English. Judas says this in the Old Testament. And they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, the deliverer of the Israelites, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. I know. Doesn't it bother you? Why is it 20? Well, then we have a specific scripture that forecasts how many pieces of silver. I've actually looked into that quite a few times. Like, are you sure it's not 30? 
I, there's actually no way of knowing. Mean, someone, I think it was even Josephus that said something like, oh, I don't know if it was Josephus. Someone actually said it could be translated as 30, but we don't know for sure. Well, it bothers me. But uh, listen to this. And I said unto them, if you think good, give me my price. This is like Judas speaking in the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah. It's a weird scene. And I said unto them, if you think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, cast unto the potter a goodly price that I was prized of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. We have a foreshadow. We have a prophecy. The Messiah is being described in great detail that something's going to happen to him. Foreshadow number eight. The strange and particular form of death. Now listen to this. I'm going to cobble some things together so you realize how the Jews looked at the death of this Messiah. A man of the blood lineage of David, considered king in the Davidic line, one born in Bethlehem, one betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, must be as a lamb slain. And in Jerusalem is where he'll be slain. He must die a very specific sort of death. He himself must be silent as a lamb unto his slaughter. In his death, he must bear the sin of man. He must remove the iniquity of the land in that one day. He must keep all his bones. It's a very specific kind of death. Not a beheading. It's not a lopping off of body parts. He has to keep all his bones. Not a one of his bones can be severed from him. He must not have any of his bones broken. His accusers must yell out a very specific thing. Listen to this. This is what they're supposed to yell out. He trusts in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Very specific quote. He must be pierced, likely as Josiah was pierced through with an arrow. His hands and feet must be pierced. His death must be public, for he will be surrounded, mocked, and reproached, and the crowd must look on him whom they pierced. He must be numbered with the criminals. They can't just die alone. One, two, three. He must be thirsty. His every bone must be felt. His heart must be as wax. And a fountain, a river, must be opened up. Very specific. This isn't what it says. I'm not saying anything about the New Testament yet. I'm saying this is what the Old Testament proclaims. Foreshadow number nine, the curse of the tree. In Deuteronomy, this is Moses' last speech, his last gasp. And if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he be, he be to be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. Remember, in that day, a singular day. And so now we have Moses describing, if a man has sinned unto death, then he must die. Hang him on a tree. But he must be removed that very day. This is 1,300 years before the Messiah arrives. But thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God. That thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God gives thee for an inheritance. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, a tree. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, every one that is bitten by the snake, when he looks upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. 
this is 1,300 years before a man who becomes sin for a nation is put up on a pole. And anyone who looks upon him will live. Am I giving stuff away? What am I doing? Oh, come on, Ludi. <laughs> Foreshadow number 10, in that day. Now, there's so much coverage of in that day in Scripture that it's nearly impossible for me to just communicate this simply. There's two days in Scripture that it seems to talk about. The cross and the second coming. And so as a result, when you go through it, as long as you know that, see, the Jews didn't know that. They were expecting a single day in which all things would take place. They didn't understand a lion coming and a lamb I'm sorry, a lamb coming and then as a lion. So here, this is just in the book of Isaiah. 11.10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. Which shall stand for an ensign of the people. And to it all the gen- shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. And in that day shall you say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed and be cut down and fall. And the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord has spoken it. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth upon the, and kings of earth upon the earth. And it shall be said in that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. In that day, the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. And in that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people. And that's just up to chapter 28 in Isaiah. There's a day coming, and in that day, our God will bring about a work of salvation. Thank you so much for listening to part one of this two-part message by Pastor Eric Ludi, pastor at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please, feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.